In Acts chapter 7, Stephen becomes the first of the Christian followers to be killed for his faith. And right before he dies, he gives a long sermon that most readers just skip right over because they think it's maybe not relevant. But for some reason, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, thought the details of this chapter were important to include. And today, we'll look at how Luke uniquely shares the good news of Jesus through the story of Stephen. Welcome to episode 51, The Gospel in the Story of Stephen. Well, we are in the dog days of summer for sure. It's, it's really hot where I am. And based on last night's national news, I can pretty confidently say that it's probably hot where you are too. It's hot everywhere. But even in this heat, a little over a week ago, Lisa and I had a really unusual opportunity. We traveled to Sarasota, Florida, and let me tell you, it was even hotter and more humid than here in the Pacific Northwest. We went to visit one of my good friends, Dr. Chip Bennett. He is the founding pastor of one of the fastest growing churches in the United States, Grace Community Church. So we got to see my good friend Chip and his wife, Mindy, but we also got to see Dr. John Walton. I've quoted John in several of our episodes here, and he is the one that graciously walked me through a few rounds of edits on my forthcoming book, Rethinking Rest, which, by the way, is due to come out January 19th of next year. John Walton is one of the leading Old Testament scholars in the world right now, and he spoke at Chip's church, and after his presentation, we got to go out to dinner and chat for a while. (laughs) I had corresponded with him at length over email, but it was great to finally be able to spend some time with him across the table. I'll put a link in the show notes to a picture of us for those that might be interested. And I think I know what you're wondering about that dinner. Uh, I had the fish and chips and he had a pork chop. (laughs) It was a great trip. And both Chip, my buddy, and John Walton have formally endorsed my book. John wrote the foreword for the book, and Chip's endorsement will be on the back cover. It was a great trip, and I'm really thankful I got to spend time with both of them. Well, in today's episode, we continue to march our way through the book of Acts, and we've arrived at a very long sermon. It's the type of sermon, if it was preached in our church on a Sunday morning, most of us would probably tune out and start surfing our social media. But that doesn't mean it's not important. That just means we're easily distracted. Stephen's speech is a basic history of the Jewish story. John Polhill, out of a 1974 edition of Review and Expositor, says this about Stephen's speech. He says, in general, it is an extensive survey of Old Testament history from Abraham to Solomon. Verses 2 through 8 treat the call of Abraham. Verses 9 through 16 deal with Joseph and the sojourn in Egypt. The history of Moses is related at length in verses 17 through 40, and his life is divided into three parts of 40 years each, according to the traditional scheme. His birth and youth, verses 17 through 22. His middle years, including his exile in Midian, verses 23 through 29. His later years, from the burning bush to Sinai, verses 30 through 40. And then verses 41 through 53 have as their theme the apostasy and idolatry of Israel as exhibited in the calf of the wilderness and the building of the temple. So those comments from Pole Hill, just about the way Stephen's speech is organized, 
And it's this passage of Scripture that just reminds me that we don't always study our Old Testament as well as we should. It might not seem relevant until we get to certain spots in the New Testament that reference it. And by the way, that happens all the time. The better we know the Old Testament story, not just the individual stories, but the overall story, the progression of all the stories, the better we will know and understand the story of Jesus. And that's because the Old Testament is the story of Jesus. John 1.1 tells us that Jesus was there in the beginning of the story, which also suggests that he was there the whole way through. So if you can read through Acts 7 and you recognize everything there, well, that's a pretty good start. And if there's anything that seems a bit shaky, I would just suggest take some time and go back and become more familiar with those parts that are a little fuzzy. As I mentioned, Stephen hits some of the major themes. And in the context of Acts, Stephen was trying to point out to the Pharisees that it was a story of history repeating itself. They, too, were rejecting the God and his covenant, just like all those in the Old Testament had done. Even though it seemed like they were fully on board, the Pharisees, they were actually the furthest from the truth. It is an ancient story of rebellion. Paul Hill comments on that rebellion. He says this, There is constant reference to the rebellion of Israel against its appointed leaders. Joseph is rejected by his brothers in verse 9. Moses' intercession is rebuffed in verses 25 and following. In the wilderness, he is again rejected, this time for the golden calf in verses 39 and following. The subsequent events in the wilderness are marked by the same spirit of rebellion and idolatry, verses 42 and following. In fact, Israel has always spurned and killed her prophets, verses 51 and following. Paul Hill finishes his thought this way, There is a definite preparation here for the Christian missions story which follows in Acts. Israel has rejected God and his deliverers. God will turn to others. And this is precisely the pattern of Paul's experience as depicted in Acts. He begins with the Jews, is rejected by them, and finally turns to the Gentiles. And just breaking away from Paul Hill for a second, before we get too sure of ourselves, we need to know that to some extent, that same tendency, the one of rebellion, could easily repeat itself in our context. If for no other reason, spending time with Stephen's speech is a great reminder of our own context. Here's some uh, further comments uh, on the death of Stephen from Paul Hill that I found interesting. He says, there's a long-standing discussion as to whether Stephen was formally put to death by the Jewish council, as verse 712 would seem to indicate, or whether he was killed by an unruly mob. The balance of evidence favors the latter. To begin with, there is the likelihood that the Sanhedrin did not have the power to execute an individual under Roman rule. Further, if the Sanhedrin's formal execution procedure in Stephen's day was anything like that described in the Mishnah, Stephen was a victim of something far different, because there were careful provisions to protect the possible innocent victim that were in place in that culture. Two formal witnesses against the defendant were given the responsibility of execution, And usually that consisted of one of them pushing him off a ledge that was at least 12 feet high. And if that failed to kill him, the other one threw a stone on the victim's chest as large as he could lift. 
And in these provisions that the Jewish culture had in place, it was the victim who was stripped, not the executioners, as we see in Acts 7.58. There are other conflicts as well with the procedures found in the Mishnah, such as its prohibition of any mourning over the victim. In short, Polehill, in his article, suggests that Stephen seems to have suffered at the hands of an angry mob that day. The story of Stephen, like so many of the other prophets, was a story that had repeated itself over and over again. But it's not just in the Old Testament that stories repeat themselves. Luke is a masterful author, and he weaves the story of Jesus into the book of Acts in unique ways as well. So there are some important reasons to know the history of God's story and how he has interacted with humanity, mostly because we know that the story repeats itself. The stories of the Old Testament show us how God is faithful, but really they do even more than that. If you look at the Old Testament stories, they often tell us the story of Jesus. And what do I mean by that? Well, There are a few times that Jesus himself reached back into the Old Testament to suggest that some of those stories that we find back there looked ahead to his ministry. For example, in Matthew 12, Jesus tells us in that chapter that he is greater than Solomon, Jonah, and the temple. In other words, what he was saying by that is that each of these Old Testament characters, Solomon, Jonah, and the temple, they are characters that reveal something about who Jesus is. And if you aren't immediately familiar with the story of Solomon, for instance, and not just the story where he suggests cutting a baby in half or how he built the temple, but the whole story of Solomon. And that story includes the lengths to which he went to gain control of the throne after his father David died, to the way he finished his rule by acquiring horses from Egypt and multiplying wives, If you're not familiar with the whole story of Solomon, then you won't ever really truly understand what Jesus is referring to when he says that he's greater than that Solomon character. Well, all that said, the Old Testament clearly gives us pictures, imperfect as they are, of the coming Messiah. So that's one reason the Sermon of Stephen is important. In retelling Stephen's story in the book of Acts, Luke reminds us of Jesus through Stephen's references to the Old Testament. But Luke is also using Stephen to remind us of Jesus. What do I mean by that? I mean, he's using Stephen the person, not just what Stephen said. I'm going to reference a work now by Dr. Warren Gage. Uh, The book is called Return from Emmaus, the Resurrection Theme in Scripture. We had Dr. Gage on as a guest at the end of last year, and I've talked about his work in several of the episodes. One of the things he does really well is he is able to recognize the poetic way that the story of the biblical characters are told in reference to the story of Jesus. And it's in his book, Return from Emmaus, that he says this. One of the clear literary strategies of the evangelist Luke is to show that the lives of the saints are marked by the gospel of suffering and glory, all in the image of their Lord. And it's because Christ taught that all who would truly follow him would have to take up their own cross of suffering to live in hope 
of the glory of the resurrection life. And Gage suggests that it's Luke that illustrates this theology by his characterization of the suffering and glory pattern of Jesus as it is reprised through and in the lives of his disciples. And we see that particularly in the characters of Stephen, Peter, and Paul. He suggests that if the Gospels foretell the suffering and the glory of the Savior, the book of Acts retells the suffering and glory of Jesus in the lives of his disciples. And he suggests that the symmetry is striking and that the significance is profound. So breaking away from Gage, what he does is he recaps the story of Jesus and he goes back into Luke's gospel and highlights specific words that Luke uses in the gospel to tell the story of Jesus. And then he contrasts those words in the story of Stephen where some of the same words are used by the author, Luke, to describe the story of Stephen. And Gage suggests that in this way, in using familiar form and familiar vocabulary, Luke, the author, is able to retell the story of Jesus, the suffering that leads to glory, through the characters that follow his words in the book of Acts. And here's some examples of that vocabulary. He says that Jesus' ministry was characterized by the spirit and power. That's Luke 4.14. And his enemies were unable to resist his teaching, Luke 21.15. Or the witness of his wonders and signs, Acts 2.22. The power of God was so manifest in him that Jesus' face was transfigured and his robes were like those of an angel, Luke 9.29 and 24.4. But the Jews raged at his doctrine, for he reproved their stubborn disobedience, Luke 11.47-51. And on the night before he suffered, Jesus withdrew from the disciples about a stone's throw and knelt down to pray. But in the story of Jesus, it's the elders and the scribes that led him to the council, to condemn him to death, Luke twenty-two sixty-six. They had already charged him with blasphemy, Luke five twenty-one. And Jesus told the council that the Son of Man will sit at the right hand of the power of God, Luke twenty-two sixty-nine. Jesus had charged Jerusalem with persecuting the prophets and stoning those God sent to them, Luke thirteen thirty-three and thirty-four. So Jesus was taken out of the city gate and crucified. But he spoke a word of forgiveness from the cross, saying, Father, forgive them. Even they divided his garments and cast lots over them. He finally cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So all of those are observations that Gage has made about Jesus' ministry and specifically the vocabulary that Luke the author chose to use to describe that ministry in his gospel. Then, Gage goes on to compare some of those things to the story that Luke describes of Stephen's death. Gage says this, Stephen's ministry, like his Lord's, was characterized by the spirit and power, Acts 6, 5 and 8. His enemies were unable to resist his teaching, Acts 6, 10, or the witness of his signs and wonders, Acts 6, 8. The power of God was so manifest in him that his face became like the face of an angel, Acts 6.15. The Jews, however, raged at his doctrine, for he preached against their stubborn disobedience, Acts 7.51-53. through 53. 
It's the elders and the scribes that led Stephen to the council to condemn him to death, Acts 6.12. They charged him with blasphemy, Acts 6.11. And Stephen said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, Acts 7.56. They rushed against him to stone him, Acts 7.58. And he was taken outside the city to be killed. As Stephen knelt down to pray, they threw stones at him. And those who cast stones laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. But Stephen spoke a word of forgiveness in his death. He cried out in a loud voice, Lord, lay not this charge against them. And then he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And just breaking away from Gage's work there, I hope you recognize, just as I was reading through the description of how Luke retold Stephen's story, It's a brilliant retelling of the gospel story through the story of one of Jesus' followers, Stephen. And by the way, this is not the only time Luke does this. We will see it again a couple more times in the book of Acts. So before we close out this episode, I thought I'd just briefly mention a couple other stories that we haven't come to yet in Acts, where the gospel is retold through the stories of Jesus's disciples. And we're going to skip ahead to Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 17, where Luke retells the gospel story in the account of the imprisonment of Peter. It's in that story that Peter is taken to prison during the days of unleavened bread. And what time of year was that? It was Passover. So it was the same time of year that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection occurred. It wasn't the same year by any means, but it was the same time of year. And in that story, Luke tells how Peter is held captive, how he was stripped of his clothes. With his arms, you can picture him outstretched with chains holding on between two soldiers. And it also describes how Peter was sleeping. And that's often how the scriptures describe someone who has died. Now, Peter wasn't dead in this story, but Luke is using his description to bring to mind the imagery of the cross. These are all gentle reminders of the crucifixion of Jesus with his arms outstretched between two others and how he was naked and in the sleep of death. Then, really interesting, in Acts 12:7, Luke says, Behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and he struck Peter's side. (laughs) What an odd deal. An angel shows up and strikes Peter's side to wake him up. Let me just ask a question. Does that sound familiar at all? Was Jesus ever struck in the side in the scene of his crucifixion? Of course he was. And then in Peter's story, Luke goes on to say that Peter escapes his cell that was being watched by guards in the front of the door, and he immediately went to a woman named Mary and told her to report the events to the brethren. So all these details about Peter's imprisonment, about how he was held, about his escape from that prison, the people are different, and for sure, not all of the circumstances are even close to the same. But the way Luke tells the story of Peter's imprisonment in Acts 12 is meant, he is intending it to be a reminder of the story of Jesus. 
And it's not just that. Luke does it again in Acts 27 and 28 when Paul is delivered from the bite of a viper. And we'll take a closer look at these examples as we get to them in our progression through the book of Acts. I just wanted to briefly mention those examples here to emphasize what we've talked about this whole episode, the importance of understanding the whole of the biblical story. Now, don't get me wrong. We usually do a decent job of reading through the Gospels and understanding pretty well the stories of Jesus. But in our modern culture, we rarely spend sufficient time in the supporting material, the other stories that not only show the gospel, but, now listen here, it's these other stories that frame the gospel and further explain the complexities and the depth of the good news. Let me just ask you a question. Do you want to understand Jesus better? If you do, you should consider that desire as an invitation to read the parts of the story that you don't know very well. Because the complexity of the Jesus story is woven into the texture of all the other stories. It's time to move on past the Gospels. It's time to become a student of the Word. Because there's a lot of stories in the Bible where Jesus is not a character But those stories explain the complexities of who Jesus was, how he forgives, and how he saves. It's just another way to better understand our Savior. Well... That's all the gas I've got in the tank for this episode. But before we go, I just want to emphasize that if you are one of those who hesitates to venture much outside the Gospels in your personal study, I just want to encourage you to get to know the other parts of the Bible better. And you can start just by listening to what Jesus says when he talks about the Old Testament. What stories does he talk about? Where does he go with his audience? And then... Just be willing to be a part of his audience and follow him there. You could also go back to Stephen's sermon and let that sermon lead you back through the history of Israel. It is a fascinating story because it's the story of God interacting with humanity. And that's a story that's still very much pertinent for today. In the next episode, we'll see how the gospel revisits Samaria and then continues its journey to the remotest parts of the ancient earth. I heard a very interesting fact this last week. It seems as if there are over 2 million podcasts out there right now. And I just want to thank you for choosing to listen to this one. I really appreciate you. And oh, (laughs) there's just one more thing. Please consider recommending to those you know, the Rethinking Scripture Podcast. Podcast.